Thank you for joining our talk today. Today's topic is titled Identifying Novel Drug Targets in Paraganglioma, Mining Curated Knowledge Graphs to Gain Insight into Rare Disease. Our speakers are Jeff Green and Dr. Simon Plummer. Mr. Green holds a degree from Stanford University and is a software engineer with Kaigen. He joined Kaigen 16 years ago through its acquisition of Ingenuity Systems in 2013. Jeff is an integral part of the Kaigen Ingenuity Pathway Analysis Application Development Team and currently serves as the IPA Technical Lead. Jeff also served on our Project Insights team, which has been leveraging machine learning methods to extend our understanding of biological systems, networks, and pathways. Dr. Plummer holds a PhD in Biochemical Pharmacology. He has served in various research roles throughout his career, focusing on high-throughput sequencing and bioinformatics interpretation of data. Dr. Plummer joined Micromatrices Associates Limited in 2011 and currently serves as its managing director. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Jeff Green to start our topic today. Uh, thank you. So today we're gonna to talk about a new way of predicting associations between genes and diseases and how this was applied to research into paraganglioma. So just to start with, uh, Kaigen products shown here are intended for molecular biology applications. These products are not intended for the diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of a disease. So we're gonna start by talking a bit about the approach, which leverages the Kaigen knowledge graph, and uh, which we've been mining with machine learning and then ultimately producing disease networks. And Dr. Pomer will talk about his research into paraganglioma and his evaluation of one of these networks. And then ultimately we'll uh, wrap up with uh, some insight that was gained from this and uh, talk about a particular hypothesis that seems especially interesting. So the method is based on the Kaigen knowledge graph. At Kaigen, we have this factory process for curating scientific knowledge at a large scale. We've been doing this for 20 years and have thousands of uh, human years uh, to, to collect this information to create this graph. We basically have scientists reading articles and then uh, extracting information from those articles, adding them to the graph. Because we have experts doing this, we can collect all kinds of details accurately, details like species and tissue and mutation, and in particular, uh, direction of effect which is very key to some of the work that I'm gonna be talking about later. On the right here, we have some examples of actual curated findings from literature, from the system. And you see they often involve a couple of molecules and how those molecules interact. So in this in the case up here, we have CDK and 2A, which is increasing the expression of MDM2. Um, that increasing of expression is the direction of effect that I mentioned. Similarly, there's another finding here in the bottom right between those two molecules. And then on the left, you can see that the, you can have uh, the direction of effect going in the opposite direction, where CDK and 2A has a decreasing effect on a different molecule, PCNA. So these findings curated from literature form the basis of the Kaigen knowledge graph. These relationships are connections between nodes, such as uh, the biological entities like genes, chemicals, diseases, and biological functions. And the relationships are the edges between these entities. Uh, the 
directional effect that I mentioned earlier can help us make predictions between these entities. So for example, on the right, earlier I mentioned that CDK N2A uh, had, a, had findings that said it increased MDM2. And so we can make a prediction that if CDK N2A is activated, well then it's likely that M MDM2 is, will have an increase in activity. And similarly, if we, we can say that if CDK N2A is activated, it's likely to decrease the activity of PCNA. So in this way, we can use this direction of effect from these findings to make predictions about what will happen when one molecule is activated. So the graph is composed of millions of these relationships that are linking thousands of these biological entities. And so you can see in this graph, there are many patterns that get formed, patterns of activity. So when CDK N2A is activated, it, we can see that there would, we would expect to see this pattern of downstream activity, some, going, some molecules being activated, others being inhibited when CDK N2A is activated. And similarly, there are relationships between regulators and diseases and biological functions in the graph as well. And so we could also say that when CDK N2A is activated, well, then you would expect to see an increase in the disease paraganglioma. This graph is the foundation of Kyogen IPA and is computable by algorithms. So recently at Kyogen, we've been seeing if we could take this a step further and seeing if we could find patterns in the graph and then make predictions based on those patterns using machine learning. So our approach relies on three key observations. The first is that a regulator can be described by the pattern of its effect on downstream molecules. So as I mentioned earlier, CDKN2A has this pattern of increasing and decreasing effect on the molecules downstream based on, according to the curated literature in the graph. You can also observe that another regulator might have a similar pattern of downstream effect, like in this case, FGF2. So then if FGF2 is activated, it's expected to have a similar pattern of effect as CDK N2A. You can also observe that other molecules, other regulators, might actually have the opposite pattern of effect. So in this example, PTCH1, if it's inhibited, then it would have a similar pattern of effect as if those other two regulators are activated. So given those observations, we can make some predictions. A regular affects disease by acting through its downstream genes. Therefore, if two regulators have similar effects on those downstream genes, well, then it's likely they have similar effects on the same diseases. So again, we observed that in the graph, CDK and 2A had a pattern of effect on its downstream molecules, and FGF2 had a similar pattern of effect downstream. In the graph, we also knew that CDK and 2A has a relationship with paraganglioma. Well, since these two regulators have similar patterns of effect, we could also predict that FGF2 likely has a similar effect on paraganglioma, even though that relationship is not actually already in our graph. In a similar way, we could make a prediction that if PTCH1 is inhibited, 
then it also would have an effect on periganglioma, again, because of its similar downstream, a uh, similar effect on downstream molecules. And through similar reasoning, we can even make predictions between diseases and biological functions. So the, the increase of paraganglioma in this example is uh, expected to uh, correlate with the decrease of initial DNA end resection. So the full details of this approach are beyond the scope of this presentation. However, the approach has been published in bioinformatics advances. So if you are interested in more details, uh, I suggest you, you can look it up there. But it is worth commenting uh, on a few key assets that we get as a result of this approach. So first is for each regulator, we get an embedding that defines the regulator in terms of the effect. It's the regulator's effect on downstream genes. Similarly, for each disease and function, we get an embedding that defines that entity in terms of the upstream regulators that affect it. And then third, those two can be combined to create what we call a disease vector in which each element has a signed numeric score representing a link prediction. So basically it's a prediction that uh, the prediction of what effect this regulator would have on this disease. So we do that for all the regulators and even for all the biological functions in, in our model. Our model, what I've shown here have just been some simple examples, but the entire model contains over 7,000 regulators, 5,000 diseases, and 15,000 functions, which is a subset of the entire graph. And all these predictions are based on curated knowledge, not collections of experimental data. So we have this interesting approach, which can uh, find these connections between uh, genes and diseases. So the question was, well, how should we how should we leverage this? So our first project is to create disease networks. So the goal of these is to create a snapshot of the disease, which includes the key genes, biological functions, and the relationships between them that drive a disease. So the disease vectors that I mentioned earlier can facilitate this in a few ways. It can help us prioritize which gene to disease and function to disease relationships to include on the network. If we just took every gene uh, that was connected to the disease and in our knowledge graph and we just added that to a network, it could be huge with hundreds or maybe even thousands of nodes and so many edges that it would be almost impossible to make any sense of it. So our goal here was to create a small snapshot, maybe about 50 molecules or so, that show the most important genes involved in the disease and the key relationships that drive it. So the disease networks help with that prioritization to determine what should go into the network. And these network or the, the, um, the vectors also help us predict new relationships that were not previously known in the knowledge graph. So ultimately, these networks contain genes that are important to be uh, that are known to be important in the disease relationships that are curated from literature, from the knowledge graph, and potentially novel regulators and biological functions predicted to be involved, meaning they're not already linked to the disease in the knowledge graph. So we created over 1,500 of these disease networks, and they're currently available in Kaijin IPA. 
So one of these networks, paraganglioma, um, was uh, evaluated by Dr. Plummer, who was doing research in paraganglioma. So I'll now hand it off to him to talk more about his research. Okay, well, um, today I'm going to describe a case study of familial paraganglioma to illustrate how we use these IPA, artificial intelligence disease networks, to identify um, uh, new drugs that could target this disease. Now, paragangliomas are rare tumors of neuroectodermal origin, and germline mutations in the mitochondrial complex gene STHB account for about 20% of these uh, paraganglioma cases. SDHB is a key gene in the TCA cycle, uh, essential for energy homeostasis. And the goal of our work was to identify novel disease drivers of tumorigenesis in the hope of identifying new drugs that might be effective in treating this disease. The data used for this analysis came from a single case study of this disease in a family local to Dundee in Scotland, and the work was funded by a local charity. But the broader context is that the potential uh, new drugs that we uh, identify might be applicable for treating other families suffering from this disease. So in our previous work, uh, we generated a differentially expressed gene data in the tumor of this case relative to normal tissue. And in order to focus in on the gene changes taking place in the tumor, we laser dissected the tumor cells from formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded blocks of surgical resections of the tumor from this case. And this enabled us to get a more accurate picture of the gene changes occurring in the tumor cells. In this case, they're called Velbalin cells. And um, our aim was to identify pathways and gene changes that occur downstream of the initial metabolic changes, such as succinate accumulation, that drive these neural crest cells uh, towards cancer. So this slide illustrates an overview of the current analysis that was undertaken. And we used our previously made differentially expressed gene list and examined this data in the context of the artificial intelligence derived paraganglioma network in IPA. Now this network uh, is, as Jeff mentioned, is comprised of 20 genes that are directly linked to paraganglioma in the knowledge graph through curated uh, data, but also 28 genes that were inferred by the artificial intelligence to be linked to paraganglioma, but had no previous literature linking them to this disease. And um, we were particularly interested in these inferred genes and uh, examined whether or not the, these genes were altered in our differentially expressed gene data by overlaying this data on the um, paraganglioma network. Our aim was to find novel genes involved in paraganglioma. So we focused on these 28 
artificial intelligence inferred genes to see if they were altered in a similar way uh, at that predicted by the artificial intelligence to how they were altered in our differentially expressed gene uh, data. And 19 of them were altered in a, single, uh, a similar way, either up or down regulated to that predicted by the artificial intelligence. And after a review of the roles of these genes uh, in other cancers, we found that four of them had roles in oncogenesis with the potential to uh, have an effect on the development of paraganglioma. And two of these genes uh, we found through um, IPA were targeted by drugs. The other two have not been currently targeted. So they are potential novel anti-paraganglioma drug targets. So this shows the uh, ingenuity, uh, artificial intelligence inferred paraganglioma network overlaid with our gene expression data. The red and green nodes indicate the direction of expression predicted by the artificial intelligence, uh, red being up and green down regulated. And the histograms alongside display our differentially expressed gene data for that particular node. In the um, enlarged uh, image uh, node on the right-hand side, we can see that inhib BB, which as an example, was altered uh, in a similar way to that predicted by the artificial intelligence, that being up, significantly upregulated in all receptions of the tumor. This is shown uh, by the four histogram columns. And um, we were particularly interested in these genes because um, obviously we know that, that cancer is clonal in origin. And if these alterations occur consistently throughout the tumor, it's possible that they may be early events in the process of tumorigenesis. So using this analysis, we identified four novel genes in our differentially expressed gene data that were inferred by the artificial intelligence analysis um, as being important in paraganglioma and that were also altered in our differentially expressed gene data. All of these genes had relevance to oncogenesis uh, in, uh, when we looked at their function. For example, FGF2 had a compelling link within our data to paraganglioma via vascular endothelial growth factor, which was significantly upregulated across all four patient um, receptions. And in our analysis, it, we showed that fibroglass growth factor two signaling was significantly upregulated in the uh, differentially expressed gene list through upstream uh, regulator analysis. The other three genes, inhibbb, EIF4b, and BDX24, were all significantly upregulated in all resections across the um, tumor that, that, uh, that we observed. And using the drug overlay function in IPA, we found that two of these genes could be targeted by current drugs. And this can be seen in uh, column three of the table. And the others could be considered novel drug targets. So after identification, 
of novel inferred genes such as FGF2, uh, we then wanted to go back into the knowledge base to investigate how this gene may interact with other genes known to play a role in this disease that have already been published in the curated knowledge base. In the case of FGF2, we found that this gene interacts with important players in this disease, such as vascular endothelial growth factor and EPAS1. And we can also see that these genes are linked to paraganglioma uh, using this um, function uh, within IPA. When we broadcast uh, upregulation of FGF2 onto this diagram, uh, as it was inferred by the artificial intelligence, we can see that this would have caused upregulation of these two key players, VGEF and EPAS, as indicated by the uh, coloring in the node. And this is consistent with what actually happens in paraganglioma. Hence, through this process, uh, where previously we had no knowledge of the potential role of FGF2 in this disease, we can build a hypothesis surrounding the role of this gene in paraganglioma. And as there are existing drugs that target this gene, we can now make a plan to test this hypothesis um, in an in vitro system. In order to confirm that the changes that were inferred by the artificial intelligence were consistent within our data, uh, the gene expression changes that, that actually occur in, in the case were studied. We overlaid these onto this FGF2 network. Uh, and as, as I mentioned, uh, two really key genes uh, that are involved in paraganglioma and also um, we found that these were upregulated in our particular case. So this indicated that uh, this hypothesis was relevant to this particular case that we were studying and supports the rationale for investigating the targeting of this gene uh, for potential treatment. So to test the uh, novel gene drug hypothesis, we plan on using SDHB mutant and wild-type cells to, te to test the differential efficacy of the drugs for their ability to selectively target this disease. And we've identified um, cell lines from SDHB mutant and, and wild-type theochromocytoma cell lines for this purpose. And for these experiments, we plan to use our novel high-throughput thru histology platform test the potential efficacy of the drugs identified in our analysis using 3D tumor steroid model. This platform works by aligning six steroids in the same format as a 96-well plate in a micro TMA mold, wax embedding the steroids and cutting parallel sections onto a standard microscope slide. We can then stain the slide for markers of efficacy of these drugs. Uh, such as cleave caspase 3, which measures apoptosis, and chi 67, for example, looking at proliferation. And we can also perform on a parallel slide transcript profiling uh, that enables us to uh, examine this uh, efficacy data in the same steroid across uh, di these different platforms. And this data could be used to build novel treatment rationales for this disease. 
and also to generate biomarkers of efficacy that could be useful in the preclinical and clinical testing of these drugs. So with that, I'd like to uh, hand the microphone back to Jeff, and I'd be happy to take any questions that you have later on. So the network that Dr. Palmer was evaluating is available in IPA. And if you have access to IPA, today you can go there uh, and search in, in these for these pathways and lists. You can search by a name of a disease, or in this example here, you can even search by a particular gene of interest, and we'll find the networks that are uh, that are pertinent or that include that particular gene. And because it's in IPA, you can then use all the power of IPA to evaluate it. So you can analyze your data, you overlay your own data set, as Dr. Palmer did. You can compare against the hundreds of thousands of data sets and analyses that are in the Omicsoft repository using, uh, using their match capabilities. And you can also uh, uh, learn more about the context uh, in, uh, by linking out to the Omicsoft Land Explorer. So as mentioned, there's over um, 1,500 of these disease networks currently available in Kaijin IPA. And the subjects really range from uh, very common diseases like diabetes to some rare conditions like Lee syndrome. So they run the, there's a wide range of, of interesting topics. And on average, almost 50% of the genes in each network are novel associations, meaning that the knowledge graph did not actually have a connection between the disease and the gene. So potentially there is not any, uh, potentially there has not been a connection found yet. So not everybody has access to IPA. And so we put several of these networks on a free online website that we call the Disease Network Explorer. And the link to that is right here. And so if you do not yet have IPA, you can click on that link and uh, take a look at some of these networks on that website. So of course, these disease networks are only one application uh, for this mining of the knowledge graph that we're doing. And the other applications could include drug repurposing or biomarker identification or a number of other things. So we're really just getting started. So if, if you think this approach could help your research, or if you'd like to investigate some of these no novel targets that are in a disease network, please reach out to us at insight at Kyogen com. So for Dr. Simon Plummer, uh, and I'm Jeff Green, I'd like to say thank you for your time. All thank right. you, gentlemen, for that wonderful talk. Um, we have some time here for some uh, questions, and uh, I'd like to um, pose these to each of you. Uh, first one here that I have is uh, for you, Jeff. Uh, was IPA used to create the disease networks? So IPA itself, the application, was not used to create the disease networks, um, but the knowledge graph that IPA utilizes was, right? So we created our own algorithms separate from IPA to generate this large collection of networks. And then once we had them, uh, we wanted a way to share them. And so IPA was kind of a natural um, method for, for us to share this with a large audience. Um, and so, of course, by putting them in IPA, uh, you can also then leverage all of IPA's capabilities to evaluate them. So as you saw, like uh, the hypotheses that Dr. Plummer prepared, a lot of those connections were, uh, were made uh, by using IPA's capabilities. 
And if people wanted to uh, take on that endeavor themselves, uh, they would uh, uh, most likely do that through our uh, Kaijin biomedical knowledge base. Is that correct? Um, right. So they, I mean, they, the network, the disease networks are available in IPA today. And so you could open them up in IPA and then also, you know, apply any of those capabilities to the network to, to evaluate them. Understood. Uh, next question here is uh, for Simon. Um, uh, what else can uh, Sphero Matrices platform be used for? Well, uh, the platform uh, is a high throughput histology platform. Um, so it can be used uh, to assess, I guess, drug effects in many different tissues. It uh, has flexibility in that it can be applied to um, 3D organoids or spheroids of any particular type and any particular disease model. So it, it can be useful for evaluating, uh, I guess, in, initially uh, the basic histology of these uh, disease models, but subsequently uh, to look in more detail at drug effects, um, either through transcript profiling, as I mentioned, which we can do, uh, by laser dissecting the uh, sections from the, the microscope slides and applying uh, high throughput um, transcriptomic analysis to these sections. Um, we can assess efficacy biomarkers uh, for a, a very wide range of these in vitro models, which are being used much, much more extensively now in um, uh, drug early drug testing because of uh, challenges associated with um, investigating relevance to humans, because a lot of these models can be uh, generated in different species, including humans. So it's possible to look at species differences and, and drug effects, which are, which are relevant to the species from which they're designed to treat, that being the human. Got it, great, wonderful. Uh, next question uh, for you, Jeff. Um, in the uh, new disease networks, how can you tell which gene disease associations are novel? So um, the best way is, let me actually go to one of them. Might help to see it. The best way is if there is a line between the disease and a gene, then that means that that relationship is known in the knowledge graph. If you clicked on this edge in IPA, you would see those findings that supported this relationship. But all these other uh, genes that do not have a direct connection to the disease on this network, those are all predictions. So all these are all these that do not have a direct connection, a direct line, those are all predictions made by the machine learning algorithm. Interesting. All right, great. Thank you. Uh, back to you, Simon. Um, what are the next steps for validating the FGF2 prediction? Well, as, as I mentioned, um, we can look at a range of different disease models. And in this case, we've identified a, a disease a, a tumor cell line, which has an STHB uh, mutation. This is a pheochromocytoma cell line. Hmm. And we have the equivalent uh, wild type uh, cell line uh, of SDHB um, to, for comparison. And to 
we, we could see that there were relationships between the metabolic changes that have taken place as a result of SDHB mutation, um, which were causing effects uh, downstream on the expression of EPAS1 and VGEF. Uh, and as I mentioned in the talk that we inferred a link between fibroblast growth factor two and these gene changes um, by examining uh, the effects of FGF2 in more detail in IPA. So from that, we would predict that um, if this particular gene is a, is a good target for the treatment of this pain, we would see a selective uh, cytotoxicity or anti-cancer effect in the SDHB mutant uh, 3D model compared to the wild type model. So this enables us to test these hypotheses in, a, in an in vitro system and uh, to build a rationale for using these drugs for in other potential preclinical models or even uh, later on uh, for assessing the uh, efficacy of these drugs in clinical trials by providing biomarkers that might be useful to evaluate their efficacy. So that's uh, the, the, this is this particular uh, hypothesis that, that we're investigating using this platform. Would it be fair to say that uh, these new disease networks in IPA have helped you to accelerate uh, some of this hypothesis testing? Yes, they have, because uh, in our previous work, we <clears throat> were able to uh, ask some uh, questions about the, uh, the, I guess, the, the, the origin and the function of genes that were altered in the tumor uh, in, in relation to um, some uh, diseases and other um, processes uh, where, we, where we could match these gene changes uh, to uh, biological processes and disease processes that, that look similar. This is a, 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 an approach that we use um, using a, a matching algorithm. But uh, what we've been able to do with the uh, Ingenuity Artificial Intelligence Network is to, is to build and, and increase the scope and understanding of this network by actually combining our, our matching network uh, where we were looking at a different biological hypothesis with the network derived from the artificial intelligence. So we've expanded our understanding of, of the disease processes that take place. Wonderful. I think we have time for one last question and uh, kind of a, a softball, but uh, Jeff, are you open to collaborations on other diseases? We definitely are. So, um, you know, we have this collection of networks in IPA, but, you know, we ourselves are obviously not experts on every one of these diseases. And so we are seeking people who are experts in those diseases, who are doing research and who are interested in finding some kinds of novel connections. Um, so we'd like to partner with those folks and uh, first of all, have them evaluate the network, give us some feedback on it. But then also hopefully some of those network or some of those new predictions are interesting to them as well. And that they could follow up, uh, evaluate some hypotheses and even uh, maybe even do some validation. So we are very open 
to collaborating with scientists. Um, so just reach out to us at insight at kaijin.com. Great. Thank you very much, uh, both gentlemen. Uh, that concludes our uh, presentation today. If we didn't get to your question, we will try to answer them via email. And we thank you for attending today's webinar.